0: Baruch Hashem, what a joy it is to be here with you on this, uh, this Shabbat, and so I've, I've asked the Hazan here that since it's the, really the first drosh of the new year, given the fact the first Shabbat drosh anyway of the new year, and all the things we've been doing today for the first Sabbath, I thought it was appropriate to do the Shekianu, so Baruch Hashem, so i like the Hazan to lead us please.
1: Baruch
0: atah
1: Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, shehechiyanu vekiyemanu vehegiyanu laazman
0: Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Tadar Abbaser. Lakasha Give our Hazana a hand. He does. Amen, amen. He does a fantastic job. You know, before, before Hillel came along, I was the uh, rabbi and Hazan, and every day was like Yom Kippur. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, hallelujah. Everybody's praying hard for Hashem. Send us a Hazan, Hashem, Hashem. Yes, he does. He does indeed, Baruch Hashem. Oh amen, oh amen. Yeah, and, and our beautiful screens are attributed to Zal. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful, Baruch Hashem? Oh amen. Uh, hallelujah. Let's say the Bracha, the Torah, and get right to our, our teaching this, this week of Vayilech and Shabbat Shuva. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God. King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah, please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words you your Torah our mouth, and the mouth of your people of the house of Israel. May we and our offspring, and our offspring's offspring, and the offspring of your people the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Yisrael. Amen. Baruch Hashem. So... Um, so wonderful that we have the, um, the reading like we did from, from the um, Besorah about the children that uh, crying out blessing and praise to Hashem. I love that particular statement and as you probably have uh, picked up, I've, I say it fairly often when we're praying for the children that, that out of their mouths that He might ordain praise. And it's uh, just a real blessing. This Shabbat is Shabbat Shuva. And we're going to be part of the uh, lesson today as we're um, gleaning through everything. Is a discussion about how important it is for children to be in the house of Adonai at, at, any, at any age. And so, with that, I'd like to share this story that relates to all those things. Mashiach, of course, said, uh, don't, don't hinder the children, but let, let them come to me. Right? So this is a story from the Lane of that is based on the verse, uh, Devarim 31.12, Gather together the people, the men, the women, and the small children. So it says in the Talmud and Haggigah 3a, it teaches, The men come to learn and the women come to hear. Why do the small children come? In order to give a reward to those who bring them. It says, we learn from here that if a father and mother bring their young children to learn Torah and imbue them with a love of Torah, they receive great reward for doing so. One of the foremost Roshea Yeshiva of our time is known for his tremendous love of Torah and so successful is he at transmitting this love to his students that when a Bachur is noted for his Ahavat Torah, his love of Torah, people will say that he is a disciple of this Rosh Hashiva. This Rosh Hashiva once told me how his parents succeeded, and, um, succeeded in imbuing him with a tremendous love of Torah, even from a uh, young age. And this is his story. This is this story of this great Rosh Hashiva and how his parents influenced him. He said, My parents did not have much money, and our families assisted on very little. When I reached the age when we started to learn in, in the class, my father wanted to instill in me a love of Torah. So he came up with an idea. Rather than buy me a volume uh, with only our lesson planted in it, w- w- our subject matter, he would buy me a large Gemara containing the entire Bava Mitzha, Mitz- Mitzia. In this way, my father thought I would value my Torah study more. So at that time, volumes of Gemara were not readily attainable, and they were very expensive. Nevertheless, my father decided to surprise me with a valuable gift of a full volume of Gemara. In honor of the occasion, he, out of deference to my Torah study, my father donned Shabbos clothing that day, and he went out to buy the Gemara. Did you hear what I just said? He's going to buy Gemara for his son to instill in him a love of the Torah, so he dresses up in his Shabbos clothes to go buy the Gemara. Right? Let that be something we think about when we're figuring out what we're going to wear to Shabbos, <laughs> right? Okay. So, says, he knew that if he would give me the Gemara while wearing Shabbos clothing, he would result, it would result in Torah study having an additional value in my eyes. To my father's surprise, when he reached the Sepharim store, he met my mother. And he was, she was also dressed in Shabbos clothing, Both my parents' faces turned red and they looked away away from each other. What are you doing here? My father asked my mother. Mother said, I wanted to imbue our son with a strong love of Torah study, so I decided to surprise him by bringing him a gift of a large Gemara. (laughs) And the father said, How did you have the money for such an expensive gift? She said, I sold the gold bracelet that I got for my wedding. So she explained that she was wearing Shabbos clothing because she wanted me to be as excited as possible when I received the the Gemara. When she learned that my father had come to the Seferim store for the very same purpose, she inquired where he had gotten the money from. (laughs) And my father replied that he had sold his gold watch. They decided to buy the Gemara together and they presented it to me together as well. My father held one side of the large gemara, and my mother held the other side, both dressed in Shabbos clothes in the living room. And this is how they gave it to me. And he says, The atmosphere in the house at that time was reminiscent of the atmosphere at Har Sinai, at Mount Sinai. Isn't that Beautiful. And this man grew up to be one of the greatest rosh yeshiva, uh, or excuse me, rosh Hashivas in the world. And whenever you see somebody, as it said, that was a good student, they said it must be his disciple, all because the parents instilled in him a respect and an honor for Torah learning. And so it's Shabbat Shuvah. Shabbat Shuva is the Sabbath uh, that always precedes Yom Kippur, and it's the first Sabbath of the year. And I'm amazed, at, at I shouldn't be amazed, but I always think about the contrast, the compare and the contrast of how the New year, New year starts in the secular world and what our focus is in the secular world versus what our focus is in the spiritual world, in God's world. In the secular world, our New Year's focus is all on self. It's all focus on self. But in the spiritual world, it's all focused on God. How do we begin? We begin by returning. How do we start out? We start out by coming back. How do we move forward? We move forward by coming under the wings of the Shekinah. We start out our year by focusing on how to come back to God. And so Shabbat Shuva is, is also the time that uh, in, in antiquity that the rabbi, the rabbi didn't always give a drosh on Shabbos. It, today, the rabbi always gives a drosh in every shul. Ours is more longer. <laughs> That's bad English, but it's bad English, but it's more longer. Um, uh, but anyway, but in antiquity... The, the rabbi would always give a drosh on Shabbat Shuva. And the drosh centered around things that we can do to return, to improve, to think about. And so I wanted to share this story of the, of, of the, the, the young boy because whenever we talk, whenever we look at our life, God wants us to look at our life and look at our faults and our failures and our should-haves, could-haves, and would-haves. He doesn't want us to get depressed about it. He wants us to look, about, look at it and figure out how to move forward from this point. How? So if we're not taking Shabbos seriously, for instance, maybe, maybe we dress down, you know, and we have all kinds of reasons why we do so, you know, whatever. Maybe that's just an example. These, they dressed up in Shabbos clothing to go buy a book, right? And... Maybe, you think to your, maybe somebody out there thinking to yourself, well, I don't really think about it in those terms. Great, so now moving forward, now we think about it in those terms. We think about it in those terms. Shabbat Shuvah comes from the portion of, of, of the uh, scripture we were reading in the book of Hosea, where it says, take words with you. If you look at Hosea 14, looking back at Hosea 14, this portion beginning in verse 2, The the Sabbath gets its name because this is the haftarah we read. Shuvah Yisrael. From verse 2, return Israel. Shuvah Yisrael. Ad Adonai. Shuvah Yisrael to Adonai. Ad Adonai. So it comes from the word Shuvah. And then the third verse tells us how or with what we are to return to Hashem. So it says, take words with you and return to Adonai and say to him, forgive all our iniquity and accept our good, accept good, and we will repay, we will pay rather, four bulls with our lips. So the first phrase, the first three words of that is, kehu uh, imachem devarim. Take words with you. kehu imachem devarim. Take words with you. If you take the, the first letter of each of those three words, you have a a kuf, an ayin and a dalet, that, those three words, the letters rather, spell the word akedah or akedah. So to take words with us, ultimately, as the sages comment, ultimately we're talking about words of Torah. Take words with us, the words of Torah, words of prayer, praying scripture, which is why when you read the sidur, you find that the, the vast majority of the sidur is very simply scripture verses that have been put together in the forms of a prayer. Mo- almost the entire thing is almost like that. Very seldom do we have something inserted in there that's not a verse from the Bible. So we take words with us. We take Torah with us. But ultimately taking Torah is taking the Akidah with us. Ultimately taking the Torah with us. What is the Akidah? We learned this at Rosh Hashanah. The Akidah is the son that was sacrificed by the father. In the case, there were two akidot. I guess you'd say you have Isaac, who was offered first, and you have Yeshua, who was offered last. Yeshua being the the second Adam, the 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 restart, the reset button on Adam who was offered for us. And so when we talk about taking words with us, we're talking about taking the living Torah with us, meaning that the way that we return to a God is we've got to take Yeshua with us. Amen. And we've got to put Yeshua on the, on the altar, so to speak, for our sake, on our behalf. In other words, we've got to, we've got to take possession of that offering. It's not enough just to believe in the Mashiach. We have to partake in the offering. You know, it, it's like going to the temple and, and we go to the temple in the morning for the, the, um, the first lamb of the day. And then we go to the temple in the evening for the second lamb of the day. And everybody who's there, there's only one person offering the lamb. The priest is offering the lamb. Everybody else who's standing there is trusting in that lamb. And if you just show up and you're present at the service, but you don't really believe in what's going on there, then it doesn't afford any merit for you. You have to put your faith in that lamb that's being offered. There's only one person offering it, but you have to put your faith in that offering. Incidentally, the sages say that the most powerful lamb, the most powerful prayer time, I should say, of the day is Minka. If you notice in the Bible, everything powerful that happens happens at Minka. When Elijah called down fire from heaven, it was Minka time. When Peter and John went to the temple and said, Silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we give unto you, it was Minka time. When you pray Minka, the sages say if you add the offerings, you add the carbonate to your Minka like the, Sephari, the, the Sephardics do, uh, which is also our custom here because we're an Ashkenazi congregation. <laughs> If you add if you add the the Korbanot to your Minka prayer, it says that we repel darkness when we do that. Now, see to me, I often wonder, I have wondered, what why why is it? That, I mean, Shacharit is a longer prayer. You wrap feeling at Shacharit, Talit Gadol at Shacharit. Shacharit's the first thing in the morning. How come that's not the most powerful? prayer why is it that minka is the most powerful prayer and the reason is is because at Shacharit we're offering isaac but at minka we're offering yeshua at Shacharit we got the first lamb but at minka we got the final lamb come on see when we, when we find the minka prayer this is why we can show up at minka and say silver and gold we don't have but what we have yeshua we give unto you rise and walk come on this is what we're talking about we got to take yeshua with us when we're making shuva to god Shabbat Shabbat Shuvah is also about making correction and making, making amends for all the Lashon Hara that we've spoken on Shabbos. For all the idle words that we've spoken on Shabbat. For all the secular conversations that we've had on Shabbat. For all the conversations about sports, weather, the stock market, politics, what we did last week, the movie we watched the day before, all that garbage that we talk on Shabbat, we got to make shuba for that. All the mundane discussion, all the stuff we talk about, we say, well, well we're on Shabbat. We're in the Olam Haba right now. And we start, I, start ta- I start talking to Yishai about how I need to fix my fence tomorrow. How am I? Listen, when we're in the Almahabah, are we going to even think about this earth? Everybody, everybody's uh, 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 is, is concerned about dying, right? I mean, there's always there's an in, inner fear in all of us about it. I understand, you know, I, blessed assurance I have and all kinds of stuff. But, but all of us are concerned about it. Right. Nobody wants to die, right. Right? right? But I will tell you that when we get to the Islamabad, no one's going to think about this earth. As I'm standing in front of the lamb, someone's walking up and say, Hey, uh, do you miss Texas? I, don't know. I know not what you speak of. <laughs> do I miss the mosquitoes and the sweltering heat in the summertime? No. But Shabbat Shuva is the time in which we make reparations, and moving forward, we do our utmost. To refrain from speaking about mundane things and negative things on Shabbat, which is why we instigated the Shimraz HaLashon 40 day challenge and to, to begin to, to condition our souls to refrain from that kind of discussion. And that's why at our, our family, we, the, uh, the uh, uh, Hapat Time Heritage Foundation. Because we signed up for it, they email me on Thursday. They email me that little handout, and I print it out. And with God's help, that's that's uh, our discussion at the Shabbos table to, to put to talk about that. And it's been really great. It's been really wonderful. And it's been really helpful. And we, you, some of y'all got them because I told you you should order them. And, and those little cards that they sent you, and and they you say the the that you you without a value you, you're not going to be talking. The Shan Harat, the Shabbos table, and we're doing it in the merit of somebody's healing, and somebody who needs a Shiduk and needs a wedding, yeah. right? Somebody who needs a Yeshua. Come on, yeah. <laughs> needs a Yeshua. You know, it actually says that, right? Need, they need a Yeshua. Yeah. <laughs> I need a Yeshua. Come know. on. So y'all can say it about me if you can't think of anybody else. So I can say, yeah. Rabbi needs <laughs> Yeshua. Yeah. So we say that and we we, we make that declaration and everybody says it together. We all say Amen. And we continue the meal. It's wonderful, it's a blessing. But it says in the book of our heritage, talking about this day, it says, This Shabbos was given to Israel as a time for Torah study and prayer. And although one should always take care not to pass the time idly or in an inappropriate conversation, on Shabbat Shuva, one should be especially careful to concentrate entirely on Torah prayer and reflection on Teshuvah, thereby attaining forgiveness for whatever unfitting behavior may have marred other Sabbaths. Everybody, every one of us in this room says, yeah, I've messed that up. Of course we have. The whole point of this discussion is so that moving forward, we can do better, right? And think about it. I just want to remind us, just I want to repeat what I said a second ago. We are right now in the Ulam Haba. We are right now on the island of time. We right now are in a foretaste of the messianic age. So once we cross that barrier, when those candles get lit, we, we go into that, uh, that new dimension, right? Where, behold, all things are new. <laughs> Amen. Amen. We enter into that time, then we need to renew our mind and be focused on what we're trying to learn and, and, and let, let the music of, of, of the atmosphere penetrate our soul. And because we've got six th- days, we can talk about all that stupid stuff, right? All that worthless stuff, all that stuff that on our deathbed, we won't remember any of it right? So in the art scroll um, book on Hosea, it talks about the fact that we, God does not want necessarily our sacrifice. In fact, it says in here that even if we were able to bring a sacrifice, if we don't, it says here, these sacrifices which we should be offering to you we will replace with the appeasing words of our lips. Indeed, our words of repentance are preferable to you over our sacrifices as evidenced by the fact that even sacrifices are of no value if they are not accompanied by words of confession. Did you you catch that? See, this is what people don't understand. People often ask the question, Manasseh and I got asked this question, Um, by one of the uh uh sheriff's department employees when we went to the jail a few weeks ago what do jews do now for salvation since there's no temple there's no sacrifices they said there's no sacrifices they may not realize that we don't sacrifice without a temple but that's why we don't sacrifice what do jews do now for salvation since there's no sacrifices See, that is a fundamental misunderstanding of the purpose of a sacrifice. And the reason why they're so easily replaced is because the actual animal that we sacrifice is simply a representation of the son that was offered. That's When when a Jew would take a sacrifice to the altar in the temple, and again, the only reason we don't sacrifice today is because there isn't a temple, when we took a sacrifice to the temple and we confessed our sins over that offering, that offering was very simply a representation of the ram that was offered in place of Isaac. And so every offering points to the Yakidah. That's legitimate Jewish ideology, which is why they're worthless without confession, because the animal affects nothing. It's the spiritual act of laying down one's life And this is why the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. This is why the ram, as I said on Rosh Hashanah, was actually created before the foundations of the world. Because God provided a remedy before He even provided creation. God is the one who provided the medicine, the cure, before there was a disease. And so we bring our words with us because what we're actually doing physically is meaningless without what we do spiritually. And our words mean that we're bringing our hearts to God, and that's ultimately what He wants. In the Keholt Humash, it talks about the time in which we come before Hashem and we read all of Devarim during, sukkahs, during Sukkot. We can find this in the Devarim chapter 31, beginning in verse 10 Every 7 years were to gather Israel was to gather in the temple in front of all the people they were to build a, a great big scaffolding a great big uh, pulpit if you will a platform whereby the king of Israel not the kohen gadol the King of Israel would stand on the platform and read aloud the entire Torah, the, all of Devarim, to the people. The King of Israel. You don't want to know why Yeshua quoted from Devarim so much? Because it was the king of Israel who was supposed to stand up and read Devarim to the people every seven years on the year of Jubilee. It was, it was and on the year of Jubilee, it was the king of Israel who was supposed to do that, not to Cohen, the king. It was the king's responsibility to make sure that people were following Torah. And he was the number one citizen. He was the number one example. So I'm just going to read to you this to you from the KL Tumash, which adds Rashi's comments and other ideas in with the text, the way that it's written here. Then Moses commanded the people, saying, in connection with my previous exhortations to Joshua. I will now further command him to periodically exhort you collectively in a public ceremony regarding the study of the Torah in particular and the fulfillment of its commandments in general. As you know, God has commanded you to observe the sabbatical year every seven years. When all Israel comes to appear before God, this is verse 11, your God in the place he will choose, that is the temple, you, Joshua, as their king and likewise the kings that come after you. The first king of Israel was Yehoshua in the Holy Land. The first king of Israel in the Holy Land was Yehoshua, Yeshua. (laughs) A number of years ago, my wife and I bought this DVD. It was a... uh, dvd of this rabbi who was just taking a tour through the holy land and his english was very 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 bad he spoke hebrew and very broken english and at the time our hebrew was not very good so we were trying i was trying we were both trying very very you know acutely to try to figure out what he was saying about each location as he was going but in this particular video, he took it upon himself to make sure that we understood that this was all the places that Joshua conquered. So all we heard throughout the entire video was, this is, and he would say, Yeshua, Yeshua, Yeshua. Everywhere he went in the Holy Man, Yeshua, Yeshua, Yeshua. And all we, the whole video was about Yeshua. So... It continues on and says, Joshua as their king and likewise all the kings that come after you must read from this Torah before before all Israel loud enough that they can hear it with their ears. Erect a platform in the temple courtyard from which the king will read publicly from the beginning of the book of Devarim until the end of its first paragraph of the Shema. Now listen to this. This gives the order according to the oral tradition of how this was done. You read until you reach the first chapter, or the paragraph, rather, of Shema. Then you skip, you skip to and read the second paragraph of the Shema. Then you skip to and read the passage about tithing. Then you skip and read the second passage about deadlines for tithing. Then you skip and read the passage about the blessings and the curses, then go back to and read the passage about the king. That's how it was done in the temple when all the people gathered. Now, I find that remarkable. It says here, why do we read until the first? Why do we read it in this way? It says here, the beginning of the book of the volume serves as an introduction to the following passages, exhorting the listener to internalize them property, properly. The first paragraph of the Shema expresses God's mastery over us which frees us from the world's material drawing, enabling us to devote ourselves to Him, His Torah, and His commandments. So all of this has a purpose. We read into the Shema we understand that God is God, and we're not slaves to anyone, but we're servants to Him. Nothing has mastery over us, not even material possessions, unless we allow them to have mastery over us. I was reading an article that someone had shared and it was talking about, uh, to paraphrase, it was talking about uh, living a simpler life and, and paring down on, on clothing options and that kind of thing. And then in the story, the person who was writing the article said that they got rid of stuff. You know, they, over the years you collect stuff and you get rid of stuff. And they said they couldn't believe how liberating it was to get rid of stuff and of course it's a secular article so you know there's secular reasons giving but the given but the fact of the matter is is that when we hold on to stuff and we become hoarders of stuff and everything then what happens is that materialism takes hold of our soul and ultimately someone who is holding on to something i i've got this completely worthless utterly worthless thing well, let it go. Let, just give it the goodwill. No, I can't. What if I need it? Well, you haven't laid eyes on it in three years. It's been in the attic, in this tub for three solid years, right? But you might need it someday. You know what that's called? Shabbat Shuvah. Don't get mad at me. You ready? What that's called? It's a lack of amuna. Because you don't trust God that A, if you should need it, He'll give you something you need. Right? It's a lack of Amuna. It's a lack of Amuna. So he goes on to say the second paragraph of the Shema expresses God's mastery over nature, which He can manipulate in accordance which He, he manipulates in accordance with our behavior. Rewarding us with rain at its proper time if we fulfill His commandments. Teaching us that our livelihood depends primarily on His blessing and only secondarily on our own efforts. God is the master of creation. He manipulates creation. And He can change the laws of nature for our behalf anytime He wants to. The passage about tithes expresses God's mastery over our wealth as its owner. He commands us to give part of it to the poor. The passages containing the blessings and curses expresses our covenantal bond with God, elevating the previous three notions from the components of a relationship between the two entities, us and God, to expressions of our inseparable oneness with Him. Concluding with a passage about the king emphasizes how we must subjugate ourselves and all aspects of our lives to God, for the purpose of the king is to inspire and imbue us, his subjects, with a true devotion to God. So one of the things that we do on Shabbat Shuvah is we take an assessment of of our lives, and in this case, we've got to include tithing and sadaka. Understand that when the king stood up to read, that part of the progression of reading had to do with tithing and we have to take an assessment and say how have we done this year with tithing how have we done have we tried to excuse it away listen anything we don't want to do we try to find an excuse for not doing that's the truth isn't it we say well back then back and back what, what god really meant by tithing is that we would only give if there was a temple and uh, since there's no temple i don't have to give my money right that's what it means right <laughs> right right I had to get my money, right? Now, I want you, people examine, one need to examine their heart, and, and if they can look at themselves in the mirror and honestly, before God and His entire base deem, if they can honestly say that I'm not trying to find a loophole, a loophole out, of, out of tithing, then I'll accept it. But when people say to me, and I'm not talking about anybody here, but people have said, well, since there's no temple, back then they were talking about giving to the temple. But since there's no temple, um, you know, I don't have to give my 10%. So I'm not going to give my 10% because there's no temple. So that's cool. I'm, I'm completely comfortable with coming to synagogue and not giving any, di- any money. Totally comfortable with it. Because when we come to Shul, you know, um, co-serve, we get free electricity. The city gives us free water. You know we don't pay for this building, right? They gave it to us. All these chairs, the, the people that made them just said, we don't need them, just give them, Take, come pick them up. We walk in the guitar center and, and a, a, a Hazan walks in the guitar center and I'm with Sar Shalom and they say, take anything you want from the whole place. Take it all. Take it all. Right? 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 Yeah. No. That's <laughs> not how it happens. The reason we gave tithes in the temple days and by the way, it wasn't, it wasn't to the temples. That's wrong. That's wrong. It went to the, Levit- the Levitical system. It wasn't just for the temple. It was for the Levites in every city all over the Jewish community, no matter where they were in the world. Why? To keep Torah teaching and keep ministry going. Wow, that sounds familiar. (laughs) But let's just be honest with ourselves. I'm honest with myself. All those times that I try to get around not tithing, it's because I didn't want to tithe. I was stingy. That's just the bottom line of it. There was no other reason for it. I was simply stingy. It was tough to write that check. And I didn't want to write it. When I show up at a, at a potluck and I don't bring any food, it's not because I'm on a fast. It's because I'm, I, I'm expecting somebody else is going to bring something, and I, therefore I don't need to bring something. I bring a bag of chips and a bottle of salsa. And that's because I want to steal from somebody else who spent three hours baking the, baking the casserole. Mm. I got one amen. I need, a, I need an amen or an oh me, huh? Right? It's true, isn't it? We just have to be honest with ourselves. Just be honest with ourselves. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody but me. You show up and say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to bring something like that. I didn't have time to do it. Oh, like we did.
1: Yeah, right. Thank you.
0: Right? I couldn't afford that. Oh, really? I couldn't afford to do that. If you tell me you couldn't afford to do that, you better be flipping open the the bug phone, and you better, and I better see you walk up to your TV and do this: click, 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 click. Right, right. Don't tell me. Come on now. Right. Rabbit (laughs) Rabbit ears. My father invented the remote control. He did. This was it. Son! Son! Yeah, Dad? Change channel for me. That's how it happened way back in the day. So we have to take an examination. Outreach. Let's talk about that for one second. Shabbat Shuva. It's all about resetting and refocusing. Okay. Abraham and Sarah went out. God said, Go to the land. And when they went to the land, they didn't just settle down and just create a little, a little synagogue with four walls and said, R4, no more. And, and just, you know, daven, you know, daven. And when people came up and said, Can I come in? Are you Jewish? Oh. No, we're not. Uh, uh, no are you jewish well yes i am were you jewish yesterday no right but no abraham and sarah went out and they pitched a tent and they opened it says they opened the front flap and the back flap and when everybody will walk by they didn't just what they look this way i'll invite them in no they were like hey over here come in And they invited him in. And everybody who came in and got born again, sons of Abraham, were referred to as Abraham volunteers. So the question on the table that God would ask us is, to whom have we reached out? And who have we invited to our sukkah? I'm not talking about just the code. I'm talking about our sukkah here, the fallen tent of of David that's being restored. But who who have we reached out to? Who have we not reached out to? And who, who would God have us reach out to? Is it even on our radar? We should be inviting people. Here's the reality. We and our children and our teenagers, we should be inviting people to shul and or to our house for Erev Shabbat every single week. Amen. And I know. You say to yourself, man, that's a lot of work. Yes. Hashem did a lot of works reaching us. He carried that wood up that... Right? It was, a, it was, a, it was an effort on Mashiach's back to reach us. I know, I know. It's, it's, as I'm talking... I understand, I understand... Rabbi, you understand what you're saying? I understand the cost. I understand the potential rejection. I understand... Inviting people and them saying no or not showing up. I understand always having a house full of guests. Always having your tent full of people. Some of whom that they don't know what's going on. I understand all that. But God didn't say, he just said, I need you to to be fishers of men. I need you to cast the net. And see, what's interesting about being a fisherman is they don't just sit in the boat. They actually stand up to the side of the boat and they take the net and they cast it out. Because he said, "I didn't call you to be coxswains. I called you to be fishers of men. So if you're in the boat and you're just sitting there, you're not a fisher, men. You're just a boatsman, right? So the whole point is, we've got to be Hashem. Our prayer every week needs to be Hashem. Who can I invite? Who can I reach out to? Who can I ask to come over, right? Who can I not not just out there, but also in here, in reach and outreach." Everybody, reaching out to everybody. So, <clears throat> here's the next thing. You ready? Okay. <laughs> by the way, by the way, in the Art Scroll Humash, I should say this. In the Art Scroll Humash, on page uh, 1096, talking about this time coming together. It says, gather the men, the women, and the children. It says, why gather the children? It says, why were the young children present? As we read earlier, to give reward to those who bring them. The Talmud relates that the mother of one of the Mishnick sages used to bring his cradle to the study hall so that he could absorb the sounds of Torah study from infancy in modern times, it's become acknowledged that the time to inculcate values in children is from the earliest youth, and especially by the examples of parents and others who sincerely strive for the ideals they preach. Thus, for bringing their children to this reading, parents deserve to be rewarded, for they are demonstrating that the Torah is precious to them. You know, and unsadly, in modern Jewish time, it's become customary, For women with children to stay home. You go to an Orthodox synagogue, and it's very uncommon to see a women's section that's full because all the women stay home with the children. And I'm telling you right now that that is an unfortunate custom that's developed because it's easier, the kids running around, it's just easier to stay home. But in the Talmud, it says, no, 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 I don't care if they're little babies. You bring them, you say, well, they're not going to know what's going on. It doesn't matter. They're absorbing in their spirit the words of Torah and the teachings. Someone said, well, Some of people, people say to me very frequently, oh, Rabbi, I'm so sorry, my baby was crying and I had to walk. I'm so sorry I had to get up. I said, I'm so, I did not even. <sighs> when i up here, it doesn't distract me. Okay, if you get up, your baby's crying, you need to get up, get up. I'd rather the baby be here and, 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 and be absorbing the Ruach of God, than to stay home. I'd much rather, I, I love children. I, I sit here on every Shabbos and every Yom Tov and I hear children out there singing the Shema and singing Ni'amidah, and I'm like, man, come on. I love Hillel and the team, but man, that's a beautiful music right there when I hear that. I love it. I love it. And you hear, you watch teenagers and they're, 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 singing the lyrics, the songs that they're hearing. That's beautiful stuff right there. And so it says here, by the way, why do we invite the stranger? Why do we invite the garret? It says, A non-Jew who observes the Noahide laws, although he's not bound by the commandment of the Torah. A little disagreement there, but that's, that's not even there. It says, He should attend this. Why? So that he should be inspired to inquire about its significance and therefore be inspired to convert. So you say, well, I don't know if I need it. Man, this guy I know, he has no interest in Judaism whatsoever. So I don't know. Should I invite him to the shul? Should I invite him to the sukkah? Should I invite him to my house for Arab? Invite him. How else is he going to hear? How can they believe if they've not been preached to? How can they hear the word if they've not been talked to? Come on, you've got to come in. Let them see something. Amen. Menashe has it right. When we go to the jail, we don't have any idea what kind of effect we have. But Menashe said it right. If we reach one out of a hundred, it's worth going. One out of a hundred is worth going. We cast our net into the sea. We have no idea what fish we're going we're gonna to do. God didn't say go dive into the ocean and collect the fish. He said just fish for them. Our job is to cast the net. In this case, they want to be caught. They just don't know it. <laughs> the question we have that moving forward in this year, how can we better be better brothers and sisters? Are we connecting in the community? Are you Am I connecting in the community? You know, it's a true statement that we get out of anything what we put into it. Too many people are sitting around waiting to be connected with. God says, I didn't put you there to be connected with. I put you there to belong. One, a person who attends the synagogue sporadically will inevitably feel disconnected. If you show up to Shul and you get handed a visitor's card every time you show up,
1: <laughs>
0: you're not coming often enough. And if you come to Shul once or twice a month or once or twice a, 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 a quarter, and you're wondering, I just don't feel connected at Sar Shalom. Well, I wonder. That's interesting. No, you've got to come. You'll feel disconnected if you yourself don't connect with others. And it takes it takes effort. We have a tendency to, to stay in our, our comfort zone with maybe one person or two people or three people, but we've got to we've got to make an effort to break out of that. Break loose. Be free. Go connect with somebody else. You say that person never talks to me. Go talk to them. I don't know anything about that person. Good, go ask them some questions. Ask them about them. Right? We will feel disconnected if we don't invest time in studying. So I don't feel connected at Sar Shalom. Everything's just over my head. Why? Because I just don't know what they're saying. Why? Because I don't buy any books and study. That's why. That's really what it amounts to. I've got my King James Bible. <laughs> and that's all I've got. You know? And so we don't study. If, you don't, if one doesn't study, they're going to feel disconnected. They're not going to feel... It's, just, it's the same. That, that holds true wherever, wherever you go. Had, I used to have, I haven't had it in many, many years, I used to have this reoccurring nightmare <coughs> that, that I would go to my college class and I hadn't been there in weeks. <laughs> I it's a crazy dream, right? But I had no idea what they were talking about because I hadn't been studying, I have not been doing anything, and I just, I just showed up to class and like I hadn't been there, in, man, forever. And I felt disconnected. <laughs> One will feel disconnected if they are generally critical and negative. If you're generally critical and negative, you will feel disconnected. Well, they should have. Well, they could have. Well, I don't know. If I had, well, you know, Monday, we call it Monday morning quarterback. I don't know why they didn't do this. They should have. They could have. They would have. If I'd have been there helping, I would have. They don't ever call me to volunteer. Have you ever called the volunteer? No. No, they've never invited me over to their house. Who have you invited over your house? Well, nobody, but I will as soon as they invite me. Right? I'm not talking to anybody here. This is, I'm talking this is... We're recording this to, to, to be distributed later to other people who need to hear it.
1: <laughs>
0: Come on, y'all getting something out of this? All right. We're almost done. Like Rocky, got to go to the distance. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Look at the corner for Mickey. Mickey! Ring the bell.
1: Go in the towel. i ah! done. <laughs>
0: Torah, Avodah, Hesed. That is our motto. That is our value system. Torah, Avodah, Hesed. Torah, Torah study, living a Torah life, doing our very best. Notice that in order to live Torah, you've got to study Torah. I, I said last year about this time that we need to make it our goal to read the Torah portion every single week. And, and I said, don't come to Shul if you haven't read the Torah portion. Our attendance dropped by 50%. <laughs> That wasn't the intention, you know? (laughs) You either read the Torah portion, don't come to shul. Okay, come to (laughs) shul. But we got to study the Torah, got to read the Torah. So listen, there's probably people here today. You know, we, we, we could probably say to ourselves... Well, man, I blew that. I sure, I sure haven't done that every week. That's okay. Listen, we're about to have a perfect opportunity to reset. sheet is on the way. We're about to have a perfect opportunity to push the reset button and say, okay, here we go. We're going to make sure that we do this every single day. It's real simple. Every single day, just read an Aliyah. Just, just one Aliyah. It's very simple. An Aliyah a day keeps the Yetzirah away. Come on. Come on. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. Avodah is worship and service to Hashem. It includes lots of different things, but primarily it's about prayer. How's our prayer life? Are we, are we davening shakri? Are we davening mink? Are we davening mariv? Are we getting most of it done? Are we, are we missing days? Are we missing weeks? God forbid, are we missing months? If you're a man and you haven't invested in, in, in uh, uh, tefillin, invest in it. It's expensive. Yeah, it is. It's expensive. But... You know, some of us have guns and different things, and I'm, there's nothing wrong with that. Some of us have more than one. Praise God! Come on. <laughs> but I'd hate to think that I had a, 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 a safe full of guns. I didn't have any to feelin'. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You gotta invest in that, <coughs> ladies. Prayer. I know that we got little kids on our hips and stuff like that at home and doing things, but you need to be doing this. Yit kadalvi, yit kodesh, shamer, rabba. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai right? Come on. Rabbi, I don't have time for a prayer. I've got a very busy schedule. Oh, look at that cat. I'm not talking to anybody here. This is going to be recorded and distributed to other people. We're to give this out to other people. They don't need it here. Hesed is loving kindness. We've got to focus on loving kindness. Loving kindness, loving people. You know, by the way, going over and saying hi to somebody and getting to know them and, and, and inviting them over to your Arab table. Hey, I don't really know them so well. You know, my, my wife and I very frequently, we're not saints, believe me, but a lot of times we'll sit down and go, okay, who have we never had over to Arab Shabbat? Okay, who, can, who have we never had? Let's invite them. When you do that, that's, that's hesed, That's loving kindness, Right? So we want, to, we want to increase our, our Torah study. <coughs> so when we're studying Torah, first of all, we encourage you to find and decide what your regular time of Torah study is going to be. Make that time. Take that 30 minutes or so that hour, whatever it is. 15 minutes even, whatever you got. And you make that your time and you don't let anybody or anything disturb that time. Amen. That's, right. That's your time. You're going to be with Hashem studying Torah that time, every day at that time. And wives, leave your husbands alone. Yeah. Husbands, leave your wives alone. Amen. Children, leave your parents alone.
1: <laughs> right?
0: Now, as we're wrapping things up, let me just kind of wrap it up here because we can get very easily distracted. By the way, I love in the humas, just kind of a, as an aside, it says as above we talk about the requirement to appoint a king we can take this metaphorically to appoint a king of ourselves that is a spiritual counselor responsible for ensuring that we stay firmly on the path of spiritual growth yeshua said i go so that i can send forth a counselor to you the ruach hakodesh let the ruach hakodesh be our counselor the kale too talks by the way about how important it is for moms to study Torah, and that in a lot of ways, women have the same obligation to study Torah to that as men. It says, in fact, it's more important for the mother to be actively involved in Torah studies so that she can educate her children. It's, it's, it's more important for her to be involved even than the father, since the mother's unmatched empathy, love, and endearment to our children is essential in inculating them with an enthusiasm for the lifestyle and values of Judaism. Men just don't, we don't always have that nurturing way. <laughs> right? Women are better. Yes. Man, dad, I don't understand this. What's wrong with you? <laughs> what do you mean you don't get it? It says right there.
1: <laughs>
0: What's the Hebrew say? What do you mean you can't read Hebrew? Oh. And mom's like, it's okay. I understand. I love you. Here, have some cake. You know, this is good. <laughs> they write in the hold it is therefore crucial that she herself be well educated both in the letter. Listen to this. That she bo- she be well educated both in the letter and the spirit of the law. By the way, so Jews don't believe in the spirit of the law? Oh no, it says right here to be educated in both the spirit and the letter of the law, even in those parts of the Torah that don't specifically apply to her, such as wearing seat, But she should know so she can teach her little boys how to properly wear them. So mamas, they should learn the Torah. So what really matters? Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It says, Luke 10, 38 through 42. Let's turn there right quick. How are we doing? All right. A few more minutes here. Y'all okay? All right. Clear. All right. Martha and Miriam. Martha and Miriam. Remember, this is about resetting today. They traveled and they came to a certain village and a woman named Martha... Martha took him into her home. I'm talking about Yeshua. She had a sister named Miriam who sat at the feet of Yeshua and listened to his words. Martha was worn out by serving so much. So she approached him and said, Will you not place it on your heart, my master, that my sister, this sluggard, Has abandoned me to serve alone? Hello? Please tell her to lend me some support. She expected Yeshua to rebuke Miriam. But Yeshua answered her and said, Marta, Marta, you are worried and alarmed about many things. Nothing is necessary except one thing. And Miriam has chosen the good portion and that will not be taken from her. You know, so often, we can get caught up in everything that needs to be done, and especially when it comes to Shabbos and Yom Tov. And we spend so much time focusing on that, that we collapse at the Arab table. And we've been the Martas, but Hashem's looking for some Miriams. Who will sit at the feet of the Mashiach and learn Torah? Because that's really all that really matters. We talk about Torah study. We talk about reading. We talk about all these things we've been talking about today. And we think of all these things that got to get done, got to get done, got to get done. And, and really, we need to reset and say nothing matters but Torah study. Because nothing matters but God. Everything that I have, all the time that I have, is God's giving me the time anyway. And the more we push God away, the more our time will become crunched. Because he's like, yep, you don't have time enough for me, so you're not going to have time enough for anything until you figure out that you have time for me. How did this affect Miriam? John chapter 12, 1 through 3. What was the end result of Miriam's life? Spending time at the feet of Yeshua. Let's read John 12. In the meantime, when multitudes of people had gathered to the, to the extent that they were pressing against... no, oh, I'm sorry, that's, that's wrong. John 12, I'm sorry. I was in the wrong book. John 12. One, two. Six days before the festival of Pesach, Yeshua came to Bethany, the place where Lazarus had been awakened from the dead. Martha and Miriam were sisters of Lazarus. They made a feast for him in the evening, and Martha was serving, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him. See, Martha's serving again. It's her gifting. She's got the gift of hospitality. It's, good. it's a good gift. But Miriam took pure, very expensive nard perfume and one litre in weight, and she applied it to the feet of Yeshua and wiped his feet dry with her hair. Why did Miriam do that? Because she was the one who had spent time at the feet of Yeshua. See, and I'm just saying that working is good and serving is good, and we, we need all things in balance, but I just want to caution us that We don't allow life and people coming over and all the activity that happens, which is good activity, to distract us from sitting at the feet of Yeshua and pouring perfume on His feet and wiping His feet with our hair. In other words, being intimate with Him. When Lazarus was dead and Yeshua came to his town Martha went out to greet him and she said if you'd have been here you wouldn't have died and he had a long discussion with Martha and she agreed that you're the resurrection and the life and whatever you whatever you do God, whatever you say God will do but then Miriam was still inside sitting with the body and when she was told by Martha that the Mashiach has come she ran out to him and she fell at his feet. And she said the same thing that her sister said. If you'd have been here, my Lord, Adonai, he would not have died. But there was one difference between Martha and Miriam in in that story. And that is that Miriam was crying and weeping bitterly. And her tears, when Yeshua saw her tears, he wept bitterly. And the people standing around said, oh, see how he loved him so much? And it wasn't it. When he saw the tears, the gates of Shuva opened because the gates of Shuvah are never closed to our tears. Martha had the same prayer, but Miriam's prayer was a prayer of tears. And so as we're approaching God right before Kol Nidre and Yom Kippur and we're talking about returning to Him and everything we've talked about, let it be something that we take hold of with tears, that we should approach God and say, this last year, I, I've, I've gone through the list, I see. It says, good. And crouch your heart to me and let us rise up to resurrection and newness of life. Here, take the old clothes off of them and put the new clothes on him, And let's walk into 5779 with a newness of spirit in true Shuvah. What do we know?
1: What do we know?